Father, we thank you for uh, this Christmas Sunday. And, and Father, we first and foremost want to pray for Dan. Uh, pray that he would feel better uh, and that, Lord, um, there would be no illness over him and, and he would feel uh, right back to normal so we can celebrate uh, in Christmas uh, in, in light of your son just the joys that we have in you. Father, I pray for our church that as we celebrate this Christmas, uh, that it wouldn't be about all the decorations and the gifts, but it would be about your son, Jesus, that we would uh, spend some time in reflection over who you are and what you've done. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm not a big fan of, of puzzles. And I think uh, the holiday season is a great time to do puzzles, but I, I, I quite frankly uh, am not a huge fan because uh, puzzles are very, are very boring to me. Uh, my wife loves doing puzzles, and what she'll do is she'll um, clear, out, clear out the table, and, and she'll start working on it, and she's very methodical. And so she'll start with um, the edges, and she'll start, and, and she'll, she'll make sure she does it all right. She, then she'll color coordinate, and she'll know um, what puzzles go in, on which side. And, and as she was pregnant with our, our daughter, our first child, um, while we were waiting for her to uh, kind of go into labor, uh, to kind of get her mind off of, off of you know, the whole pregnancy thing, uh, we did this huge puzzle. And I remember it was, it was a lot of pieces. I don't remember how many because I, I, I really uh, wasn't interested. But I remember um, the one thing about this puzzle, is it was like a superhero puzzle. It was like a DC comic book superhero puzzle. And it was a bunch of faces of different villains and superheroes. And, and I remember... Um, her, like, because Grace isn't into comic books, she's not into superheroes, uh, she would have to look very intently on the box. And she would kind of have to look uh, at, at each face and, and she would uh, look very clearly. And I would kind of look at it and I would go, like, oh, that's clearly this, this character, that's clearly this superhero. But my wife, um, did very well, she, she would look at the box and she would know where the pieces go. For me, I'm not, I'm not a big uh, puzzle, fan of puzzles. What I, what I like to do instead is, is just to enjoy the, the big picture of it all. I, I like it when it's done. I like when the puzzle is complete. And I, I, what, I, what I really like doing is, is, is having those final few pieces and being able to push them in because it's very satisfying to get those last, last few pieces in. And so what I do is while my wife is finishing a very large puzzle and she's doing all the groundwork and she puts all the pieces in order and she, she starts uh, putting them and separates the colors and, and it starts to take shape, that's when I, I kind of slowly come in. I go, oh honey, let me help you with this one. And I'll, I'll put it in. She'll get really angry at me. She goes, I was saving that piece. Like, why are you, why are you doing this puzzle now? It's like, oh no, I'm, tr I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you because, you know, there's so many pieces. But for, for, for me, what I liked growing up way more than puzzles was Legos. And what I loved about Legos was that there was always two pieces, uh, two parts to building a Lego set. And especially if you got a big one and, and it's Christmas time, so if you get a really big uh, set of Legos, for me, when I, would, when I, would, uh, when I was a kid, I, get, I would get this huge box of Legos. I would always go first to the instruction manual and you start from there and you build it uh, piece by piece and it, it would, I would take hours and just, and just slowly build this thing and you would finally get this massive creation that was Legos. And my favorite part being um, kind of the way God, God made me was after I would build it and I would see it and it would be in all of its uh, perfect glory I would smash it and I would destroy it and I would rebuild it, not using any of the instructions, but just rebuild it how I saw fit. And the funny thing is um, about Legos is after I would rebuild it the way I wanted to rebuild it, the problem I had was always there would be these leftover pieces that didn't fit into my creation. 
Um, that there were these broken, like these scattered pieces that, that didn't go anywhere. And I, I would feel bad because, you know, when you build it the first time, every piece is used so perfectly, well-intentioned and designed. And then when I put it together, there's all these scraps. And so you kind of just put those in a, a broken, discarded bin. And if anything, even what you've made, uh, you break up again and you put it into a large container. And what I remember is I even gave all of my Lego set away to, to someone younger. And I remember when we gave it to them, they were very excited. But I kind of knew, like, you're just getting... You're not getting the, the full joy of it because you, you aren't able to build from the instructions. You just have to deal with all of these scrap pieces. So I'm, I'm sure you're sitting there wondering, why is he talking about Legos and puzzles on Christmas? And the, and the, reason, the reason is, is because... The reason is, is, is our church is called Logos. It's actually supposed to be logos, but it's, it's logos for the, the way we pronounce it. And, and I'm sure that's, that's been something when people ask you, what church do you go to? And you say, I go to logos. They're probably like, what does that even mean? And I think for some of us, we don't know what that really means. And, and today I want to talk about that. But it has to do with puzzles. And it has to do with, has to do with Jesus. The word logos means word. It, it means it means word, and, and what it means, what it means is, 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 is defined for us in John chapter 1, which is wherever we're going to be reading. And to make it simple, we have to think of the word as being Jesus, yes. But when I hear logos, when I hear about this word, I have to go back and take it literally for what a word is. A word is a message. A word is content. It is not just a word written on a piece of paper. When we talk about logos, it is a message from someone to someone. It is a word. It is content that we are talking about. So we're going to read from John chapter 1, and, and we've already gone through the story of Jesus through the lens of the Magi, through the lens of Jesus' parents, through the lens of the prophets, talking about how Jesus was going to come. Today we're, we're taking a sharp turn because we're going from the perspective of John. And John is unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the sense that he begins his gospel not by explaining the birth of Jesus, but by explaining who Jesus is. So let me read from John chapter 1, starting from verse 1 this morning. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm. I love this passage, and I love preaching of this passage specifically on Christmas. Because this passage is defining to us the word of God. And it goes back to even the beginning of creation. That all things were made through the word. That he was there from the very beginning. And what I love about this is because what we know, what we know about the word, especially when we read Genesis, is that the Lord spoke creation into existence. That the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. That it was his word, it was his voice, it was the message that God brought that created existence, that created matter, that created us as human beings. That God spoke and it happened. And so it is this word that we talk about. This word that John is explaining, that this word was there in the beginning that the Word was with God, that the Word was God. And it seems to be contradictory. How can something be with someone as well as be someone? And this is the mystery of the Trinity, is that God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet we believe in one God. And then that may not make sense to you. doesn't really make much sense to me, but that is the beauty of the Trinity, is that it is enveloped in this mystery of who Jesus is. And at one moment, we also understand that he is fully man. And we've been talking about the, the manhood, the, the humanity of Christ, that, that we, we believe in this baby that was born through the Virgin Mary. We believe that God, that God brought this child into the world to be raised as a lamb unto slaughter for us. We understand the humanity of Christ because we see the nativity scene where Jesus is born into a manger and he's born in this humble, humble fashion. One in which no one would proclaim and, and say this is a king, but he seemed poor and helpless. And as much as it's important to understand the full humanity of Christ, it's important to understand the full deity of Christ. And the way I can explain to you the deity of Christ is by calling him Logos. By calling him the Word of God. Because Jesus is the Word that John is talking about here. Is that he is the Word that was there in the beginning. He is the Word that through him all things were made. That God spoke God spoke, not creating Jesus, but God spoke, and Jesus is the word that God had spoke. And I know this is probably going over your head a little bit, but John, again, in, his, in the word, in the Bible, which is such a, a great way to call the Bible, to call scripture, the word, is because this Bible that we read points directly at Jesus because the Bible which we read has one purpose. The purpose is to reveal Christ unto us. But the Word, and John explains that the Word was there from the beginning, and he explains that this Word is light. And, and it's this light that Jesus is, 
that this word is that is brought unto us, that is brought unto humanity. And, and John talks about how this light is going to be rejected by some, and it's also going to be accepted by others. And it's this light that I want to talk to you about today. The light of Jesus. The word of God. And I'm going to be using this term interchangeably. The word of God to describe Jesus as well as scripture. But please know and understand that I mean the same thing. That when I say and I talk about Scripture and I come every Sunday and I, I, I preach to you the Bible and the Word of God, my goal is the same till the day I die, is to bring to you Jesus. Is to bring to you understanding about who our Savior really is. But who is Jesus? And what has He done? Why, why do we celebrate Christmas? Is it just this little child, this baby and the Virgin Mary that we are remembering in this time? No. It's not this little baby that we are worshiping. But the fact that we're worshiping a child who is growing up to be a man who will eventually be sacrificed for all the sins of the world on a cross it shows the order and nature which God wanted to bring salvation unto us. See, when, when John says the Word became flesh, he doesn't explain how the Word became flesh. We get that from the other Gospels, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We understand that that's how it goes in the other Gospels. But when we hear, when, if you only read the book of John, you could assume that Jesus just came down in a chariot of fire. That he just came down in the, in the full-fledged form of an old man, of an of a, of a older you know, adult gentleman who never had to grow up, who never had to learn, who never had to go through all of the, the, the problems of puberty, the problems of childhood, the problems of going to school or, or going under apprenticeship. He could have easily come down in full form of God and saved the whole world. That when John says the word became flesh, could have easily meant that God just sent his son in all of his glory to come and fix the problems of the world. But God didn't do that. What God did is he chose to send his son in the form of a child who had to grow up, who had to learn. And this is what I find so fascinating. And I always thought about this when I was growing up. What did Jesus have to learn? Like, when he was a baby, didn't he just know everything and inherently just was the smartest man on earth, even as a young child, as an infant? Didn't Jesus already know everything? What was the point of him having to learn? And there's a side that is very important for us to understand. Is that as much as Jesus died for us, Jesus came to this earth to live for us. And as he came on this earth to live for us, in the form of a man, he lived a blameless and perfect life. And that meant that as he was growing up, he followed 
the scriptures. He followed the nature and will of God in every stage of his life. That did not mean he knew everything. It meant that he obeyed the Lord in everything. Too many times we get it confused that Jesus... That Jesus was able to save us from all of sin because he knew everything. The reason why Jesus was able to save us from all of our sin was because he obeyed in everything. It is very distinct and it's very important. I'm not saying that Jesus was dumb. Jesus did know the will of the Father. He knew all things. He was there when it was made. He understood creation better than anyone would understand creation. But it, it was not his knowledge that saves us. It is not that Jesus is the smartest man in the world that saved us from our sins. It is that Jesus was the most obedient man in this world that he would be obedience unto the point of death on a cross. So as he's growing up as a child, what is most profound about him growing up is not that he was the smartest, it was that he was the most obedient, not just to his parents, but unto the word of God. And this is where it becomes even more interesting because he cannot break the word because he is the word. He cannot lack in wisdom of scriptures because he is the wisdom of scripture. But why is this important? The reason why Jesus had to live for us and not just die for us is because what Jesus was doing in his life was showing us how we are supposed to live. The kind of life, the kind of human experience that we are supposed to have. That he was living his life in a way that was ruled and under submission under the way God wanted humanity to be. Jesus could have easily stayed as God. He could have easily never come down and become flesh for us. He could have easily just wiped us out and just been the judge and just judge every single one of us and just say, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed. But instead, in his grace and his mercy, he looks at us and he says, yes, you failed, but I'm not going to expect you to fix it. I'm going to come down on earth and show you how it's supposed to be done. See, this is what's beautiful about our Lord and Savior is when you make mistakes, he doesn't point the finger at you and say, you failed. He doesn't point the finger at you and say, you have screwed up beyond belief and there is no way to fix it. We have a Savior that when we make a mistake, he comes and embraces us and says, I know you failed, but I can show you the way. I can show you how to make things better because I know what it's like to be in your shoes. We have a Savior who empathizes with our temptations, who empathizes with our worries and our fears, who empathizes with our hungers and our desires. Jesus is showing us in his flesh, in his body, that he goes through temptation. That he himself was tempted by the devil, was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and Satan is able to tempt Christ. Jesus did not come to say that it's sinful to be tempted. 
But he shows us that in temptation, the correct response is obedience to the word. My biggest fear is is that this is going all over your head, and so I want to bring it back to the idea of a puzzle. The idea... The idea that life is a puzzle. And, and, and a lot of what we try to do is we try to sort and organize and make sure everything's in the right place. And uh, we have the pieces that have been given to us. And, and, and you know, we, we want more pieces, but at the same time, we're, we're also uh, really stressed out about the pieces that are in front of us. And, and, and you know, this is where, whether you're young and, and in high school or you're, you're old and um, you're, you're getting ready for grandkids, we all have our pieces and we're trying to make sense of it all. And I think I distinctly remember when I was applying to college, you're, you're, you're really in that mode of trying to fit together because as you fit each piece, you're seeing the repercussions. If this piece goes here, then this piece will go here, and then this piece will go here, and then this piece will go here, and then it'll all fit. And then the puzzle that I have with the pieces that I've, that I, I, that I've been given or I have that are just in front of me, it'll all work out and it'll look as good as I can possibly make it. And so for me, when I was growing up, and especially when I was applying to college, I remember this daydream I would have of, okay, God put me in this kind of family and I have this kind of grades. And so this piece and this piece clearly go together. And I remember as I got rejected from 13 different schools, it was like, okay, I guess none of these pieces work. None of these pieces fit. And so I, I went to my safety school and, and you fit that into place. And then uh, what ends up happening is your whole life is this, this movement of, of trying to, to fit different pieces into different, into different sections of your life. And I remember I was the kind of guy that would date around a lot. And, and as I was dating a lot of girls, it was like, okay, do they fit with my family? Do they fit with, you know, my, the, the career trajectory I have? Like, are they, are they smart enough? Are they funny enough? Are, are, and I would try to fit all of these pieces together. And as fast as I'm talking, that's kind of how fast life was going. And, and there came a point where it was like all the pieces, they kind of fit together. But it wasn't satisfying. There was nothing satisfying about it. Because when, you thought, when I thought deeply about it, it was like, well, I guess life then is just about getting married. And then I got married. And then I guess life is just about having kids. And now that I have kids, it's like, I guess life is just about making money. You make money. I guess life is just about having grandkids. Then you have grandkids. I guess life is just about dying. And it's over. And there's this kind of existential crisis you get because you've worked so hard, especially, and I'm still young, and I know I'm still in this mode of frantically trying to put all the pieces together. There's this moment where you kind of just throw your hands up in the air and say, what's the point of this dumb puzzle? What's the point of trying to put all these pieces together when they barely even fit? It feels like I'm just trying to shove this puzzle piece into this slot and it's not working. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. And you just feel dissatisfied. You feel lonely. You feel tired. You feel like that rat on that mouse wheel just going round and round and round. And it feels so unproductive. And so what what do we try to do? We try to find other hobbies, other diversions, things to distract us from the fact that things don't seem to fit together. 
the reason why it doesn't feel like it doesn't fit together is because we're not reading the instruction manual. We're not following the word of God. The reason why it feels so frustrating each and every day is because we think life is about the gifts under the tree when life is about the one who was hung on a tree. And when you start to see the bigger picture, it's like getting a box of puzzles and seeing the out cover is when you see the cover on the outside and you see what the puzzle is supposed to be and what it's supposed to, how it's supposed to all fit, then it starts to make more sense. As we read the Word of God, as we delve deep into it, we begin to understand that all of our existence is about the Lord and our relationship with Him. That it's not about serving ourselves, but it's about building up His kingdom. That it's not about looking good ourselves, but reflecting His righteousness and His glory. The problem is, is that a lot of times as Jesus comes into our lives and we begin to have that, that connection with Him, and I'm sure a lot of us, I mean, you're in church Sure, a lot of us have experienced that time where you feel like, oh man, I feel, I experience Jesus' love. I experience um, that connection with him. And, and you feel like, oh, I'm spiritual now. Like, or, or like, you know, I, I could do this Christian thing because I, I, I get it. God loves me. The problem is, is that when that light shines on our life and all the broken pieces of our life are there and, and God is saying, well, you have to obey. You have to follow how I intended things to be, and how I intended things to fit together. This is where a lot of us fall in our spirituality, in our walk with God, is we say, God, I'm all for the love and the acceptance that I have in you, but you know, this pile of broken pieces, <laughs> I'm going to take care of it the way I want to take care of it. You can uh, keep your instruction manual. You can keep the light away instead of shining it on me. Why don't you shine it somewhere else? Let me deal with my shame. Let me deal with my sin. Let me deal with my problems the way that I need to handle it. I think a lot of us understand that God loves us. I, I, I truly believe that it is not about me telling you anymore that God loves you. I think you know from a head level, that God loves you. But do you know God loves you so much that when he sees your broken life, he wants to help you. He wants to help you put it back together. When he sees your broken relationships, when he sees your broken friendships, when he sees the brokenness in your life, that he doesn't want to just look at it and condemn you. He wants to help you, but it comes, it comes only when you obey it comes only when you begin to trust in the word, to trust in Jesus. There are times where we have our broken pieces. We need to just let go and let God, to let him, to let him take control, that we become a vessel as a servant to just listen to what he's saying and just do what he is telling us to do. Instead of trying to micromanage God and tell him, no, this piece goes here, and God, you cannot touch this piece. God, you cannot touch this piece, and whatever you do, you cannot touch this, because this is untouchable. And for a lot of us, what, what this happens is, is it, it comes to the, the things that are untouchable to God in our lives are the things that matter to us the most. 
It's the things that we don't want to let go of. For some of you, it is your bank accounts. And you're like, God, you can touch everything that I, I have except this. For some of us, it's our kids. Our children are, are more important than our bank account and our money. And so it's like, God, you can touch anything, but do not, do not touch my children. Do not tell me what to do with my kids. For some of us, it's just ourselves. For some of us, what, what we're failing to give up, what we're failing to give is our own lives to God. And the beauty of it is, this is not to guilt you in anything. The beauty of it is, is just to remind you that God sent his son for you. And what the beautiful thing about Christmas is, is the gift giving. Because there are these times where you get a gift, and, and I don't know about you, but what I do is, is you kind of sense the value of the gift. And, and the, value, the value of a gift, it reinforces, just reinforces the connection. It doesn't mean you have to give gifts, but just what they were willing to give. Like if someone just went all out and was extravagant in their gift giving, you kind of were like, wow, you like me this much? Like how is that possible? God loves you so much that he gave Jesus for you. That he gave his only son for you. God loves you so much that he planned all of this out, that he knew that you were going to sin in the way you were going to sin. He knew you were going to reject him the way you were going to reject him. And yet, he sent Jesus in the form of a child to live for us. What, what, I, what I get from Christmas these days is that there is nothing in this world that can even describe the gift that God has given to us. There is no price tag. There is no way that we could ever come back and give him something half as precious as Jesus. But he gave us Jesus. He gave us the light, not because he was expecting anything in return, but he gave us Jesus as an invitation for us to join him in his family, the family of God. We take this for granted. We take God as our Father for granted so much. So many times, we think, I need to obey the word of God. I need to obey scripture and be a good person so that God will accept me. It's backwards. God accepts you fully and wholly, no matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up the pieces of your life are, no matter how chaotic everything may be, God loves you and accepts you. The second part is he wants to help you put the pieces together. It's not that you need to put the pieces together to be accepted by God. It's that you're accepted by God, and so he wants to help you fix things. I'm not preaching this out of a way of arrogance or even authority over you. My life's a mess. It's not like I, I, I'm here as a pastor being like, you know, take a look at my, my life and all the pieces are right in, in where they need to be and everything's perfect. And, and I, I get a sense that this is what social media has done to all of us. 
is that what happens is everyone posts their completed puzzle. They're like, look at all of the amazing things that have happened in my life. And, and everything looks perfect and all put together. That is not what I'm trying to do with you right now. My life isn't perfect. But how I need to respond to my broken and perfect life is the same way you need to respond to your broken and perfect life is by surrendering, by getting on my knees and crying out to my Father because He was gracious enough to give me Jesus. And Jesus is the only one that can look at my set of broken pieces and say, oh, I know where that piece goes. That goes right there. And I know where that piece goes. It goes right there. And, and still, in my sinful state, I go, Jesus, no, 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 no. That piece doesn't go there. You're crazy. <laughs> you, what do you mean that piece goes there? I, I, no, there, no. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to love that person. Like, no, I'm not going to, I am not going to say a kind thing about that, that one. No, no, but Jesus says, that piece goes there. That piece goes there. You need to let that go. You need to show kindness, peace, joy, love. And what's beautiful about when Jesus takes those pieces and puts them in the right place, and we surrender unto his character and his integrity and his goodness and his glory, slowly, but surely the puzzle starts to form and what was once broken pieces that felt frustrating. Now we take a step back and say, oh, it was all for the glory of God because there was no way that I could have put my life together like this. Only God could have. And so when we show people our completed puzzles, it's not for our glory, but it's really to say, you know, this is my testimony. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing and he's continuing to do. And I'm still broken and I'll show you all the broken pieces. I'll show you. And that's what small group's all about is to share with each other our broken pieces and for us to encourage one another to surrender it all unto Christ. This Christmas season, what I ask is that you would understand that God has given you Jesus and that means that you are part of the family. And that your obedience, your obedience is not required. Please stop thinking of obligations in your obedience. But your obedience is what will lead you to a fulfilled life. You are accepted. You are loved. There is no brokenness that can separate you from being a part of God's family. But also, there is no brokenness that Jesus cannot fix. So if you have brokenness today, Surrender it unto the cross. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending your son to die for us, to live for us, a perfect life, one that we trust you have written from the beginning of time, knowing, knowing that you would send Jesus in the form of a child to live for us, to die for us. Father, I pray that we would see the light. We would see the brokenness in our lives and the pieces would be put back together through our obedience in you. Father, I pray that we would understand our adoption in Christ is final and secure. 
And yet, as our Father, you want to help us. So, Father, take your humble servants and use us to see your glory and your power. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that we could come gathered on this Sunday morning to give you thanks. We thank you that we are now a part of your family. And Lord, that there is nothing that we need to do other than believe in the light, believe in the word, to believe in Jesus that will guarantee us a seat at the table. Father, I pray that as we are part of your family, that we would learn to trust you, that we would learn to trust your word, we would learn to trust Jesus, that as we go through our days and as we have our problems, as we have the brokenness in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, in our workplaces, that in all these places that we feel the brokenness of sin, that we would come to you and we would rely on Christ and Christ alone. Father, I pray for this church, that I pray that as we have fellowship, that our fellowship would not be shallow, but it would be made deep, deep in your word, deep in love for one another, that it would not be fake, but in all things that we would trust in you. Father, would you give us a good Christmas and a happy new year in a way that only you can give. Give us a servant's heart, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.